Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Welcome to Faith this morning. So good to have every one of you here. If you're a guest, thank you so much for being with us today. What an awesome presence of God in the house this morning. Sweet, sweet presence of the Lord. God speaking to us through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You find that in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 13, or excuse me, 12, where he talks about the gift of tongues and then the gift of interpretation. That's God speaking to the body of Christ right here, and he's moving in our midst. And so it's wonderful to come and be in the presence of the Lord. We're ending our series today, Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness. And we've learned a lot over these last six weeks. We learned that there is an unstoppable gospel that even though it says in Psalm 2, the nations uh, uh, rise up against God, they throw off all the restraints, all their fetters. It says God laughs because you can't stop the gospel of Jesus Christ. We looked at a little bit of what it costs to follow Jesus Christ, that cost of discipleship, and there may be persecution that will come along the way as we stand for the kingdom of God. We talked about being that light in this very, very dark world. We talked about raising the standard very high. The word of God, Jesus Christ himself said, he is the standard. And he said, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up. He later says in John chapter 12, that if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. So our mission in America is to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ and raise that standard very, very highly. We talked about radical righteousness last week, about uh, this sexual revolution that has gone on in America for the last 50 years, how that we need to stand righteous and holy and clean before God and what, what the word says about biblical sexuality, God's sexuality that he gave us. And, and by the way, let me just throw this out real quick. If you weren't here last week, there's a book I want you to get on your way out the door. Just grab it on your way out and, uh, and, and uh, $10. But it, it kind of sum, surmises what we talked about last week. A great book for your library. All men, all ladies ought to have this book. This morning, I want to look at the most powerful weapon in our arsenal, and that is prayer. We're going to talk about praying for America, praying for this land in which we live, about standing in the gap. So take your Bibles out, stand with me, look at Ezekiel chapter 22, and we're going to read verses 30 and 31. Ezekiel 22, verses 30 and 31. I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land, so I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. So I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with my fiery anger, bringing down on their heads all they have done, declares the sovereign Lord. Father, we thank you again for your sweet presence here today, for speaking to us. And now I pray that you will speak to us through your word. You'll open up our hearts today. I pray that out of this body, out of this congregation, you will raise up men and women who will intercede for America and intercede for this land, and that we will stand in the gap today. I pray, God, that as you look to and fro across America looking for someone to stand in the gap, we will answer that call And even this morning, begin to do that. Lord, speak through your word. Your word is truth. We ask it in your mighty name. 
Amen and amen. Turn to someone, tell them they look great, and then you may be seated. There's been a concern in our land over the last uh, several generations about nuclear waste. Nobody wants it in their state. And as we move more and more to nuclear power for our answer for energy sources, uh, we have what the problem is, the nuclear waste that is left over from that. Technology is improving all the time, but, but the problem is, if, if we're not careful, that stuff doesn't go away. And you can bury it in the ground, and you can hide it, and you can try to get rid of it any way you want to, and we figure out all kinds of methods to dispose of radioactive material. But, but the problem is, years down the road, that stuff can come back to haunt us. Radioactive material. Sin is like that. If you don't dispose of it properly, its consequences sooner or later will certainly come back on us with a vengeance. And what has happened is we have been piling sin upon sin from generation to generation and it's coming back to hurt our land in which we live. You, know, you can only suppress this stuff and pile this stuff down so long. There is only one way to deal with the nuclear waste of our sin and that is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ which totally removes it and cleanses us and takes it away. But you can't keep piling sin upon sin and it not take its toll on your own life, on your family, on our communities, and in America today. So God says, I'm looking for someone. I'm looking for men, women, anybody who will stand in the gap. He was looking for men and women who will stand in the gap for Israel. The walls had been breached. The walls were coming down because of their sin, because of our iniquities. There were gaps in the walls. I need someone who will stand in the gap and pray for Israel. And I believe America is in the very same shape Israel was in in that day and age. Because our sins have been piling up like nuclear waste. Let me give you a little quick history lesson. Follow with me very quickly if you would. In 1963, the Supreme Court ruled that prayer read over the public address system in an elementary school was unconstitutional. They said you can no longer pray in school. You can't pray before classes begin. You can't pray in the classrooms. You can't pray over the intercom. You can't pray at all in school whatsoever. And they, they, they said this comes out of an interpretation called the separation of church and state. And you will hear that thrown around a lot, that separation of church and state. But those languages never found anywhere in your Constitution. Rather, it says there, Congress shall make no law uh, prohibiting, restricting the establishment of religion and the free exercise thereof. In other words, Congress can't come in and restrict religion or establish a national religion. But moments of silence and times of prayer were not, never intended to be uh, unconstitutional by our founding fathers. And yet we said, you can- the next year, Bible reading was ruled unconstitutional. You can read Shakespeare, you can read uh, uh, Dickens, you can read all the classics, but you read the Bible in school, it's a no-no. Everything else but that. In 1987, it was ruled by the Supreme Court that that, uh, the biblical account of creation can no longer be taught in schools, not even as a theory. So you are there told and pushed the evolutionary theory again and again, but they can never mention the creation account of uh, the biblical account of creation. 
1973, of course, the Supreme Court decision of Roe versus Wade was handed down. And since then, uh, close to 60 million babies have been aborted and killed. 4,000 babies are killed every single day. When the Supreme Court decided that the indiscriminate massacre of unborn was acceptable, that prayer in the school was forbidden, and that the Ten Commandments could no longer be displayed on our school classrooms or on the walls or in any government building, and in effect constituted a formalized rejection of God. You take these three or four laws, these three or four Supreme Court rulings, and you put them all together, and basically what we have said is, God, we are kicking you out of our country. You no longer have a place in our government. You no longer have a place in our schools. You no longer have a place in our land. And so we, we formally kicked them out, one rule after another after another. Notice from 1960 to 1980, the number of serious crimes increased 332%. So all the time we're kicking God out and said, God, we don't want you to America again. Rapes, murders, robberies, and burglaries went up by 332%. Do you see any kind of connection there? The United States is now the world's leading producer of pornography and the largest consumer of child pornography. The most egregious sin, of course, is killing unborn children. And by the way, just let me throw this out there. I'm going to say it, the, the next president, his first or her first order of business will be to, to select the next Supreme Court justice to repeat, replace Antonio Scalia, who was one of our conservative justices on the Supreme Court, who continually tried to strike down laws uh, against Roe versus Wade. Now he's gone. The balance of power has been shifted in the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court no longer interprets laws. They're making their laws telling the states what they will do or not going to do and overriding every vote of every state by their Supreme Court rulings that they are making today. And so to me, this is the central focus of the election. The economy, it's going to be what it is. Let me just move on. When people no longer trust God, but instead look to government to meet their needs, They create a civil monster that eventually enslaves them. Big government not only takes away our money, but our children and our freedoms as well. I I, want to share a a, a quotation. It, It was spoken in the Constitutional Convention in 1787. This is after the Revolutionary War. The 13 colonies are there, and there's this feud between the founding fathers of whether we're going to be 13 independent colonies or a true United States of America. And so now they are are coming back together, and they're going to frame the Constitution that we have today. And and it was divided, and they were yelling back and forth. It was a divided house. Some were saying the state should have all control. Others were saying it should be a a federal government. And, And what is the compromise here? And at that point, Benjamin Franklin stood up and he makes this quotation. I want you to listen to it. In the beginning of the contest with Britain, when we were sensible of danger, we had daily prayers in this room for divine protection. Our prayer sirs were heard and they were graciously answered. I have lived a long time 
And the longer I have lived, the more convincing proof I have of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, it is probable that an empire cannot rise without his aid. We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. Wow. Our founding fathers recognized the need for God in America. They recognize the need for prayer in America. They recognize that he is the one who raises nations and brings them down. Those who look to government to solve all their problems need to realize that more government is not the answer. We need God in America again. And what has happened in America is we have thrown off all moral restraint. And we are like the psalm I spoke on earlier in this series, Psalm 2 and verse 3. They said, let us throw off their chains, they say, and let us throw off their fetters. And we've been throwing off those restraints and throwing off those chains. But there are only a few things that hold the door closed to keep evil from bursting in and taking complete control. And here are the two things that will hold back the tide of evil. Listen to me. Number one, the prayers of the saints. The prayers of the saints in America is what is holding back the tide of our destruction and that flood of evil totally coming in. The second thing is the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the body of Christ, the church. It's the church and the prayers of the saints that's keeping America from going under. Go back to my text, Ezekiel 22 and verses 30 and 31. I want to read it again. I want you to catch this and then we're going to talk about the context here. I look for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me, in the gap on behalf of the land, so that I would not destroy it, but I found none. Now, Ezekiel writes these writings at a very tense time in Judah's history. Let me give you the backdrop very quickly. In 605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar rises up. He is the powerful king of Babylon in the land. This is the most powerful empire in the Middle East at this time. The kingdom had already been divided. The northern ten tribes had already been taken into captivity and resettled by the Assyrians and were destroyed and demolished and the ten tribes scattered everywhere. So all you have left is the two kingdoms in the south, Judah and Benjamin. Thus the the southern kingdom was called Judah, which represented the larger tribe. Nebuchadnezzar comes in, 605 B.C., and he ransacks Jerusalem. He takes captives into exile. And you remember Daniel, Meshach, Abednego, Shadrach. He takes those four among a whole lot of other exiles back into Babylon. That's when you read the the book of Daniel. It is taken from him being in Babylon. That's the first time they come in and invade Judah in the south. The second attack occurs some eight years later, and he comes in again and takes more exiles back to Babylon, which now is modern-day Iraq. So that kind of gives you the context of where this is occurring in the Middle East. Among them was a prophet 
priest by the name of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is the letter I just read from to you today, Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel is now living in Babylon when he writes the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel gives multiple messages of God's warning of judgment that is still yet to come upon Judah and yet to come upon Jerusalem. And he also tells Israel, while you're in Babylon, you better settle down, build houses, live there, live among the people, because you are going to be in exile for 70 years. He prophesies how long the exile will be before they're allowed to return back to Jerusalem. He also says that the cause of the exile and destruction of Jerusalem was because of all the sins that had been piled up from the previous kings. Manasseh being the worst. Manasseh in Judah in the south, he ruled for 55 years. He was a terrible king. He brings idolatry in the land. And he says because of the sins of Manasseh, God allowed Babylon to come in and bring you into captivity. He also said the priests had become corrupt and the prophets had become corrupt. And he said because your national leadership is corrupt, judgment was brought upon your own heads. And then he says in Ezekiel 22, I look for a man in Israel. I look for a man in Judah. Somebody who would rise up, who would pray for the nation, who would stand in the gap. And and then the word says, because I found no one, I'm going to send judgment on this land. And one more time, Nebuchadnezzar comes back again, and he invades Jerusalem. He ransacks the city. It's 586 B.C. now, another 11 years later, and he takes all whoever's left there back into captivity once again. And Ezekiel laments, and I found no one who would stand in the gap. Now, if only he had found a man like Moses, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32. There were there are twice when the children of Israel are in the wilderness that God said, I'm going to come in and judge Israel because of their grumbling, their complaining, their murmuring, their rebellion, and I want to wipe Israel out. Moses is a classic example of someone who stood in the gap for Israel, who interceded for Israel at this time in their history. The first time Moses goes up, remember he goes up to Mount Sinai, he gets the Ten Commandments from God, he comes down, he says, I hear noise in the camp, it sounds like war, but when he gets a little closer, he finds out they're partying, they're committing adulteries, they've built a golden calf, they're dancing before the calf, they're, they're worshiping this golden calf out there in the middle of the wilderness. And, uh, and the Bible says the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and in that moment, God is ready to wipe them out. Now, can you imagine God had already set them free, opened up the Red Sea, brought his people out, is heading to the promised land, and they're having a big orgy out there in the middle of the wilderness. Now, pick it up with uh, uh, Exodus chapter 32, verses 9 and 10. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses. They are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. Now what's he saying? He's saying because of their sin, I have every right to wipe out Israel off the face of the earth. Give me Moses, another woman. We'll start all over again. Right? Exactly 
what he said. Moses falls on his face and he begins to intercede to God on behalf of the people. And he reminds God, he says, God, remember that promise you made to Abraham that you were going to make of you a great nation. You gave your word, you gave your promise. And he prayed, he says, God, glorify yourself by extending mercy to Israel. Jump down to verse number 14. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster that he had threatened. Now there's a man who knew what it was to stand in the gap and pray for Israel. It happens again a second time. A little bit later in their history, go to the book of Numbers. And in Numbers you see this story. There's, there's, there's some men, uh, three men. Their names are Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And they have with them 250 followers, and they're mad at Moses. And they say, Moses, you're doing a lousy job. You brought us out here in the wilderness to die. Uh, We can do a better job leading the people than you can. The 250 priests, they want to serve inside the tabernacle. That was not reserved for their tribe, the sons of Korah. It was only reserved for for the priesthood under Aaron. And they said, we should be the new priesthood. Let us offer the sacrifice, and they all rise up in one voice against Moses and against Aaron, and they rebelled against them. Who are you to lead this assembly? You let us out here to die. And so Moses said, let's do this. Let's see who God is going to back up. He says, I want the 250 priests, I want you to take uh, censers in your hand, and I want you to put incense in your censers. And he said, Moses and Aaron would do the same, and we'll see which one God honors. And so they fill their censers with incense, and they said, bring it tomorrow before the tabernacle. Moses and Aaron did the very same thing. Jump down to Numbers chapter 16, verse 21. He says, separate yourselves from the assembly so I can put an end to them at once. Now God's thinking is, let me just wipe them out. Let me just kill them all at once. Moses again intercedes, and he says this, will you be angry with the entire assembly when only one man sins? And so they separated themselves from Korah, Dathan, and Abiram and their families. Now Moses prays something. He says, don't destroy all of Israel. You got some bad eggs here, Moses, Abiram, and and Korah. He says, you got some bad eggs. Let's see, show that you are really affirming who by doing something supernatural. He says, God, if you're God, open up the ground and swallow them up. And sure enough, the ground opened up. Moses, uh, Aaron, excuse me, not Aaron, uh, Korah, Abiram, and Nathan are swallowed up in the ground. And all their families go down with them. Now that, that's a pretty shocking scene. And then something happens. He says, get away from the 250 who have their incense in their hands, their, their sensors in their hands, back up, they got away from them, and he sends fire down from heaven, and 250 are burnt like crispy critters right there on the spots. And they're destroyed by fire. This is out there in the wilderness. And then God tells 
Moses and Aaron to do something. He says, I want you to go and take the censers. They have these brass censers that are now laying among all their ashes because they have been destroyed by fire. He says, I want you to go take the censers and I want you to pound them down flat and I want you to go into the place of sacrifice on the brazen altar and I want you to tack 250 censers on this altar. And so what they did is they took every censer so every time someone came up to offer a sacrifice, They saw those censers that had been nailed there to remind them that you don't rebel against God's anointed. You don't go against God's delegated authority. You don't launch a rebellion against God because God had placed up Moses and Aaron to lead the people. And so they nailed the censers there as a reminder every time they brought a sacrifice. Now, here's the thing that really is ironic. The Israelites are really not very bright. And so what do they do again? They start grumbling all over again. And they said, what is God doing? He's just killed 200 and close to 300 people by now. He's just wiped them out of our tribe. They are now gone, and they grumble against Moses. Now you can imagine, after God shows his power, after God releases his wrath on the, on the rebellion of the people in Israel. And so this time, Moses backs up. He says, that's it. uh, let me just get away from them. And it says in verse number 45, uh, get away from this assembly so I can put an end to them at once. So this is the second time he's going to wipe the whole tribe of Israel out. Rather than step back and let God's judgment come, look at number 16 again. Look at Moses' words, verse 46. Now if this is me, and this happened to me, I'm saying, Take them, God. I'm tired of leading these guys. I'm with you. Let's start over again. Just wipe them out. You and me, God, will do a whole lot better than this crew you gave me. But here's what Moses said. Then Moses said to Aaron, take your censer and put incense in it, along with fire from the altar, and hurry to the assembly and make atonement for them. Wrath has come out from the Lord. The plague has started. So Aaron did as Moses said and ran into the midst of the assembly. The plague had already started among the people, but Aaron offered the incense and made atonement for them. And look at this next line. This is so strong. Verse 48. And he stood between the living and the dead, and the plague stopped. But 14,700 people died from the plague. Listen to me. What is intercession? Intercession is is you and I standing between the living and the dead. Everybody without Jesus Christ is spiritually dead in trespasses and sin. Everybody who knows the Lord Jesus Christ has been born again. We are alive. Our spirit man is alive. So what happens when I intercede for America, when I intercede for my next door neighbor, when I intercede for my lost loved ones, when I intercede for my family members, when I intercede for my friends, I am literally standing between the living and the dead on behalf of God. And the plague stopped the third example i want to give you is that of abraham and i shared this story a couple of weeks ago so i will be brief here you know the story the angels are going to visit sodom and gomorrah 
They're going to bring destruction upon those cities because their, their iniquity had wrote, risen up to God over and over again. They had piled iniquity upon iniquity. They had turned from God. And, uh, and he says, we're going to wipe them out. Go to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. Look, if you would, at verse number 20. Then Abraham approached him and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will you not judge of all the earth, do what is right? And the Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Now, now listen to me. You you get this scene right here where the outcry of the people rises up against God and, and, and God begins to dicker or Abraham begins to dicker with God. He says, 50. Now, I don't have time to read the whole chapter, but then he says, Lord, if there's 40 righteous, don't destroy the city. If there's 30 righteous, don't destroy the city. If there's 20, and he goes all the way down to 10 righteous people, he said, even if there are 10 righteous people, will you not destroy the city? And he says in verse number 32, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. Now listen to me. Here's what I want you to get this morning. The determining factor was not the number of righteous or the lack thereof. It didn't matter if there were 50 or 10. The number was arbitrary. Are you getting this? The two things that made the difference were this. The faith and persistence of Abraham, number one. Because he prayed and prayed and sought the Lord and his persistence who interceded for Sodom, who interceded for that wicked city because he stood in the gap on their behalf, he delayed judgment. The second thing was the grace and mercy of the judge. God is gracious, God is merciful, so I'll save this city for 10, I'll save it for 50, I'll save it for 100, if there's 10 righteous, I will spare the city. If we suppose that God's grace and mercy on our nation is based on the fact that we are in a majority as Christians, that's not the case. God's not restraining his wrath from America because believers are in the majority, and by the way, we're not. If that were the case, we would have been wiped out many, many years ago. We have greatly misunderstood God. A generation ago, we had a phrase, and, and uh, it's not in this generation anymore, but there was a phrase, you, you guys are my age or, or thereabouts, or really old like me, uh, it's called the moral majority. That was a big thing at election time. If we could just get the moral majority, and we can get the moral majority to get out and vote, we can sway the elections because there's enough believers in America. And we kind of thought as long as we were the moral majority, we could hold sway in America today. And how many know that hasn't happened? And things continually get worse and worse and worse. And by the way, we are no longer in the majority. God's patience God's forgiveness, God's gift of repentance, God's revival is strictly given by grace 
and God's grace alone, not because I deserve it, because I am so moral, and my neighbor's so moral, and I'm so good, and you're so good, and we get enough numbers built up that somehow because there's enough of us, God can't destroy us. God won't destroy us because he's merciful and because there are men and women standing in the gap, period. The number was arbitrary. 50, 30, 40, 10, who cares? God will spare America because men and women pray and seek the Lord and God is a merciful, good, loving God who wants to hold back his wrath. We have never deserved God's mercy and we never ever will. It's simply based on the character of God. We pray for revival. We pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And instead of the judgment that we actually deserve, God has been gracious to the humble. And God keeps pouring his grace out on us again and again. James 4, 6 says, but he gives us more grace. So that is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Our nation is teetering between judgment and mercy. In our government, in our schools, in the media, God is not acknowledged. We've officially kicked God out, and people have puffed themselves up with pride and arrogance toward God. Consequently, God, what he does to judge America is he simply removes his restraining grace. He doesn't, know, he doesn't have to send fire down from heaven. He just simply pulls back. Let us get the sexual transmitted disease we brought on ourselves. Let us destroy the next generation through abortion. Let us destroy our lives through immorality and and all the other things that we are doing to ourselves. He just simply says, he pulls back and he says, basically, have it your way. We are sinking into moral and ethical confusion, educational and social chaos, lawlessness in our land, the shootings, the bloodshed just goes up and up. You can pass all the laws you want. It's going to be there. Christians, though, when they humble themselves and pray and seek God's face and intercede for America, the verse is still true today, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. And I will forgive their sin. And I will heal their land. God is looking for believers of all ages who will faithfully stand in the gap for this sinful nation and a God of justice. And we pray for his mercy. We pray for his grace. And it's certainly not because we deserve it. Those who intercede for their schools, those who intercede for their communities, those who intercede for their nations, we pray, we stand in the gap. School's getting ready to start. I don't know if you've taken a trip down your high schools recently. It'd be an eye-opening experience for everybody in the house today. We pray for our schools. We pray for our government. We pray for those in authority over us. We pray and seek the face of the Lord. We pray for our neighborhoods. We summon an outpouring of God's grace and forgiveness so God will turn back his wrath from us. 
And so my question today for us in here this morning is, will we stand in the gap? Ezekiel said, I look for somebody. Somebody. The walls were crumbling down. There were, there were gaps in the walls. The defense of the city of Jerusalem had been breached. And it wasn't so much the physical wall, it was the fact that they served the living God. But that wall had been breached. I looked for men. I looked for women who would come and place themselves in the gaps in those walls and hold up the defenses for Israel. I couldn't find anybody. And because of that, judgment came again. In America, will we stand in the gap? Will we pray for our land? Well, we go to God every day and say, God, I pray for America. I pray, God, for revival. I pray back you'll turn the hand of abortion back. I pray you'll save those unborn children. I pray for those junkies that are right now in crack houses and and heroin houses shooting themselves up with drugs today. God, I pray for families that are being ripped apart. Pray for single mothers who are raising children all by themselves because a man did what he wanted and then he bailed out on them. Pray for people in poverty in the inner cities. I pray, God, against the racial tension in America that's tearing us apart and we're we're shooting each other. And I pray for our police officers that you'll protect them and cover them. And I I pray, God, for those leaders that we need. And I, I pray, God, for this election, God, we need you. God, I pray for this land. Pray for America. Pray, God, the revival would sweep across this country and Men and women would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and he would begin to change people one by one by one all across this land. I pray, God, pray. If my people, my people will humble themselves, pray, turn from their wicked ways. Let's stand together. We're going to end this series just by praying for America. If you're a guest, we're so glad you're here. But at Faith Assembly of God, we all like to pray at one time. We don't get worried about God sorting it all out. He's God. He he made us. He's got your hairs numbered. And so he can certainly hear your prayer amidst uh, a thousand other prayers going on at the same time. So you're not going to, don't worry about confusing God. We're going to lift our voices this morning. We're going to begin to pray. I want us to pray in a couple of different ways. First of all, pray for ourselves. Say, God, help me, cleanse me, forgive me, change my heart, guard my mind, guard my affections, help me to lay down my life for you. And we start by praying for ourselves, and, and, then, and then we begin to pray for our families, and we pray for those in our home, and that's the closest church all around us is our own houses and our own families and and we're going to pray for our if you got unsaved husbands lift them up before the lord if you got prodigal sons and daughters that are out there lift them up before the lord if your mom and dad are lost begin to pray and lift them up before god god would break their hearts and they would turn to him i want us to pray also for faith assembly of god I want us to pray for this church. I want God to to just always move, his presence always to be felt, lives always to be changed, men and women always delivered, and, and know that when they come here, they can find help and people who will love them and people who will embrace them and will reach out and we'll we'll bring them in and love on them. And then we need to pray for America. Pray for President Obama. Pray for this upcoming election. Pray for senators and 
congressmen and all those who lead governors across this land. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.